first of my, my Britney Spears. Um, the Lord. Um, it's funny, as I was walking past, um, you know, I navigated it quite well, and it was like, be careful that you don't fall in a pool. Um, so I got a bit nervous as I was coming around. Um, thanks, Vix. Um, before I start, um, I want to say it's an absolute honor and a pleasure to share God's word with you. Thinking about the baptism pool, oh, sound keeps dipping in and out. Thinking about the baptism pool, um, I don't know if you watched Hey Arnold when it really feels right now. Hey, let me use that. Bit of a... Thank you. I'm usually more composed than this, guys. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, I was thinking about the baptism and how it signifies rebirth and regeneration. And the scripture that came to me was in 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is after Samuel's anointed Saul. um, And he's pretty much telling him what's going to happen and how, you know, there's going to be a group of prophets and so on. And he says this. And he says, After the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place of harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And I forward, skip forward to verse 9, and it says, Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. All these things came up on that day. So to those of you that baptize, I believe there's two of you, my prayer for you is to that water of baptism, you will change and you'll become a new person and you will do what the occasion requires. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we can get into John chapter 1. Just readying all my items. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, so we're looking at the word became flesh. We're looking at John chapter one. I can into time uh, evil come in and he will take the latter. So we'll be looking at from verse one to 13. And I want to start this by saying this is not exhaustive of, you know, the fullness of God. Um, this is just what I believe the Lord has shared with me. And I want, what I want to encourage each and every single one of you is as you go away, that you yourself will study the word, um, that you will pray on it, and that God will minister to you. In Jesus' name? Amen. So all the verses, all the passages that I will read will be from the NASB. Um, that's just something I do. Um, I will begin. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being, has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So that's what we're looking at. So I just want to go through just the aims of what I'm going to cover. So I'm going to look up because I think it's easier than looking over there. So I feel like what I believe is the image itself is broken down into three. It looks at Jesus or the Godhead. Um, so we're going to touch on that. We're going to look to establish an understanding of the Godhead. What is the Trinity and what the Trinity is not. Then we move on to John and the role that he plays in the message of Jesus Christ. And lastly, we're going to look at the issue with us, the receivers. Where do we go from here? What the need for all of this to come into it? So if we're looking at um, John chapter 1, it's very interesting. It, it seems to be a summation. Um, I don't know if you who have studied, you kind of read abstracts and the abstracts at the beginning of every kind of lets you know what, you know, the whole is about. And one thing you can kind of see from this is it feels like John really had a personal experience and he was coming there to go, look, those of you that may be confused, he's a God. And I feel that is very powerful. And um, it's even echoed in um, John chapter 21, verse 24 to 25, where it says, look, I was there. I saw these things. I was the disciple that Jesus loved. What's also interesting about John's gospel is, as a whole, you know, the synoptic gospels tend to look at the kingdom of God. But it's interesting because I believe because John really walked with Jesus, he was emphasizing the deity of Christ. I think that's something that gets lost in, you know, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about his sacrifice, we talk about his love. But what is often overlooked is the deity of Christ. How is it possible that Jesus can be God and man? And I feel like it works to address this in a way. Because what we know in the Bible is it says, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Also as well, we look at verse 2. This is the word. Oops, sorry. He was the beginning with God and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And one thing we can establish from this is Jesus is that word by which God created everything. Um, and he gave life to everyone because he is the word. And a song that we sang a few weeks ago and um, when we went to 
when we went to Holland, I don't want to say Maastricht and pronounce it wrong, but there's a particular line and it says, for from you are all things and to you are all things. And that's also echoed in Colossians chapter one. So in these three sections, I'm going to try and, with the little time that I have, just to explain, I don't want to make any assumptions here that everyone's a believer. I don't think, oh, thank you, Ben. I think that might be better. Yeah, okay, let me continue. So yeah, so I don't want to make any assumptions that we're all believers in here. I'm going to try and break it down, um, and I'm just going to, the Holy Spirit is going to cover the areas in which I do not explain well, all right? So let's, so we look at the challenges we face. Um, If we go to the next slide, please. So there is a, there is a, in, in, in my preparation, I kind of, came up with this I don't know if anyone's done it before but what we are taught feeds into what we know what we know feeds into what we do what we do feeds into how we live and how we live determines where we end up now we live in a world where there's false teaching there's a lot of and even if there's a lot of truth is it going out hello Okay, brilliant. This is even better. Yeah. So, you know, even if there's a whole lot of truth, but if there's a little bit of a lie, it distorts it. And if we believe a lie as to who Jesus is, when we come into times of trouble or when we are trying to find answers, it makes everything just futile. And one thing I want to encourage us is with this is in this world that we live in, we also know that there are people who are carving gods after themselves. They become their own God. Um, They're more reasonable ones that, you know, it might be family, which seems reasonable where their family is their world. But other things, it might be fashion. It might be food. But one thing is in doing that, they're doing whatever they want to do. And as believers, in this world that we live in, we are rightly to divide the word of truth. So we are to look at this with the word of God, and we are to look at it for what is really going on. We're not to do as the world does, but we are to deal with things correctly. We do not give ourselves over to endless conversations. We're not giving ourselves to just sensationalize things. And one thing that I've realized in my study of this is, in man's futile attempts to understand who God is, they have delved into heresy. Um... I'll touch on that later. So if we go on. So we need to establish the Trinity. So if we go on a few slides. Yep, thank you. So in here, we know that God is spirit. Jesus himself says so when he's speaking to the woman at the well. And funny enough, in my my Bible plan, I'm looking at the book of Job. And one thing, sorry, one thing I believe God is saying is there are some people who are going through very tough times and they cannot comprehend why or how. But I want to encourage them, read Job. Um, Just read Job. Um, But yeah, but in that, just to sum it up, Job loses his loved ones, loses everything. His body's covered in boils and in his attempts to understand what's going on, he accuses God of offending him. He accuses God of being unjust to him. And what I want to encourage us is, in this, we have to be careful not to see God as a human being. Because he is spirit, 
Those that seek or desire to worship him must worship in spirit, i.e. we are concerned with the things of the spirit and we worship him in truth. So the counsel of God's word, i.e. the word, the Bible, which has been given to us. And sometimes we can have a sense of entitlement when things go wrong. And in this, I believe even John himself is trying to say, look, Jesus is life and he's light. And he's trying to point out that, look, the world doesn't comprehend him because people are in darkness. They're in sin. They're in guilt. They're in a complete lack of knowing of who God is. And one thing is, in that, we have to be careful that we don't feel that we can go, yes, I can call God out. I can tell God what he's done wrong to me. Um, because if you go on and read to chapter 28 of, 38 of Job, God comes out of a whirlwind. Um, that didn't end well. Um, so please, I want to encourage you, in your gripes, don't call God out. Um, and yes, also in the Trinity, we are not talking about disassociative identity disorder. Took me a while to get that. But what it is, is God is not split personalities. We're not talking about, you know, as we often hear is, you know, when people try to explain the Trinity, they use ice, water, gas. No, that's not who God is. Because one thing we know, we're talking about three distinct persons sharing one essence. And in that, even if you look in Matthew 28, it says we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Singular name, but three in persons. So me being a bit of a nerd, I was like, what does this mean? It's what they call composite unity, which means an item made up of different things. And in my futile attempts, what I'm saying to you is the essence of the Godhead is one, but they are three persons in there. And they have each their own distinct role that they play. And there is a unity in it. There is a perfection in it. They are, best way I can think of it, is, you know when you're doing, kids are holding hands and they're spinning around in a circle. There is, it should go, they should flow. But imagine one kid says, I'm going to go this way. The other kid says, no, I'm going to go the opposite direction. It's a mess, isn't it? That is not in the Godhead. It's a perfect movement. God is always moving. God is always united. The son doesn't say, I'm going to do what I want. No, they're in, they're in unity. They're in oneness. And what this composite unity is, is all three of them are together for one. They're one. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to speak in error, but please, even if you don't understand, they are one. But they're three persons. They have their own roles within it. But one is not less than the other. Please understand that. And they are co-equal and co-eternal. So they exist at the same time. And I know it sounds very weird. I don't want to assume anyone's a believer, but, you know, especially when, you know, I was very curious when I was younger and, you know, going onto YouTube and trying to find different things and you end up down a rabbit hole. Um, but in that, there are people who are so confused that they are trying to work it out and coming up with all these different theories that don't make sense, that don't add up. But I want to encourage us is, just study the word, um, and God will show himself strong. Sorry, my mouth is really good. So, can we move on? Sorry, everyone. So, in this, you can see it's pointing out the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's saying they are not, the Father is not the Spirit, Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. But in that, that one essence is God. And it's from that, it 
the, the Trinity is beheld. I, I don't know. It's very hard. And, I'm, and one thing I've learned is people really try their best. They spend a lifetime trying to work this out. And they delve into heresy. I don't believe they start off that way. But in trying to understand it, in trying to comprehend it, people make mistakes. But I feel like John is coming there to go, look, guys, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it's, that's it. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I, I know it's very hard, and I'm trying to contain myself, but I don't want to say anything that I ought not to say. So, yes. So, so as I've said before, this diagram relates to the relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. They are co-equal, co-eternal. We realise in John's baptism, when the voice called up from heaven, the spirit descended from heaven as a dove, and Jesus himself was physically present. Um, as I've said before, that John 17... No, I talked about the unity of the Godhead. And John 17, Jesus, in his prayer, before he went to the cross, he's saying, look, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. It's the beauty in it. And what I was saying before about composite unity is, you know, we talk, we're talking about marriage a while ago, and we talk about how husband and wife become one flesh. It's a similar kind of model in that how can two people form a union, but they're one flesh? And it's kind of almost a mirror image of what's going on. And God is also trying to get that with us as believers to be united and that not only in that unity, but that unity points to the unity in heaven. And when people look at us as Christians being united in love with one another, we are able to reflect back to God in heaven. So I think in that, we just look at... Um, so I lost my trail of thought there. Yeah, so John 17 echoes that when Jesus prayed that we would be one, as he and the Father are one. This will let the world know that he was sent by the Father, as I've said. So, if we go to the next slide, please. So, John 1 says that God is the creator of all things. It also says that he spoke things into creation, i.e. the word. So there's a Latin here called ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. There wasn't a basis, it wasn't like God took bits of this. God spoke creation into being. And Jesus is the word by which that came for, and creation is for him as well also we look at we are created in the image of god or man was created in the image of god which is in my imago day imago day imago yeah i don't want to i don't want to butcher it but we are going to touch a little bit on the image of god and why this is important and why jesus needed to come and also as well it speaks to the love of the father in how as john says is that to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So we're going to touch on that as well, all right? But as I've said before, this is not exhaustive. This is not a complete model or image of who God is, but it's just picking from what's in the text just to point at the characteristics of God. So if we go to the next one. So this one's for Anna. Um, so image of John there is from... Um, uh, series called The Chosen. Um, I do recommend it. It does give a bit of an insight into what things might have been like. Um, but one thing that's really beautiful about John um, is that we know that he was a relative of Jesus. Um, 
you know, in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, he says, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was barren is now in her six months. So they're related. So we can... They're related somehow, but we'll probably say cousins. Um, we also know that John was prophesied about. Um, and one thing that was really beautiful is, you know, can you imagine knowing that you were prophesied about? I might get me a bit excited. You know, I might let people know from time to time, oh, that's about me, you know. Um, also as well, Jesus said he was the greatest man born of a woman. That's Jesus saying that. However, he accepted he was not the Messiah. And John chapter 1 lets us know as well that John was not the light, but he was pointing people to the light. And even John himself says in Luke chapter 3 verse 16, he says, I am not fit to tie the sandals of the one who comes after me. One thing that I look at this is, yes, John had a role and he was prophesied about, but I also realize that John gives us a template on how we are to esteem Jesus. He accepted he was not the central character of the story. And one thing that when you watch certain sermons, certain preachers, sermons tend to be about how it's about us, that it's for us. No, it's for God. It's for Jesus. But God is bringing us. It's like, look, we are firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn, but we are after him. We are heirs of the kingdom, but it's about God. And one thing I want to encourage us is, I'm not saying we are completely and utterly unimportant, but what I'm saying to us is, in our lives, we must esteem Jesus first. We must esteem God first. And that's one thing where John, in writing in chapter one, does not lose sight of. And I want to encourage us in that. Going through my notes. And also as well, in that we, we do live in an age and a time where it's selfish, it's narcissism. Um, we, people make themselves center of their universes. And if that was the case, if I'm the center of my universe, Justin's the center of his universe, what hope is there for, for the world? Why did, I hope people understand or with me is, it's futile, isn't it? Because I'm looking for my best interests. Everyone's looking for their best interests. And then everything completely means nothing. <laughs> Which... It's quite nihilistic in, its, in a sense. But yes, so I want to remind us that John gives us a template. John lets us know how we should esteem Jesus. And I think for us it's important, and this now leads into us, the issue with us. We know about Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man. But I also, actually no, let me not assume. Genesis chapter 3 is God has created you know, everything, created man. And the serpents come into the garden and, you know, tempted Adam and Eve to sin. But I want to give a picture as to what this looks like for us. So I want to read Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now, I touched on being created in the image of God. And what's happened is, when God created man in chapters 1 and 2, it was perfect. God had a design. He breathed his life into man. 
And what's happened is when sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. And what I mean when we talk about the image of God, we're not saying a physical sense. We're talking about, because God is spirit, our physical bodies are not representative of that. But when we are talking about being an image bearer, we're talking about mentally, our ability to think, to reason, to make choices, not relying on impulse. When we're talking about image of God, we're also talking about in a moral sense, the ability to distinguish right from wrong. And to be honest, a lot of our lawmakers, we can, some people are not even believers, but there is still a sense of right and wrong distorted, um, but there is still a sense there. And also a social, in a social sense where the Godhead, there is, as I've said before, they are united, they are one, they are moving together, one essence, three persons. And in that, even that became distorted. Sometimes it's very, oh, you know, I only care about my people. I only care about my family. And one thing I want to encourage us is, Jesus has come to restore that, to bring us back to what was meant to be. Because when Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply, it meant in every sense. But when sin entered the world, everything was torn apart. Everything was ruined. And now, that darkness that was talked about is sin, it's guilt, it's shame. Ultimately, it's a life without God. And one of the things is, we've realized that the image was distorted and there is darkness as a result of that. So there needed to be a plan, didn't there? And a plan was necessary, a redemptive plan. In that, we can look at Isaiah 53. And verse 10 says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So, ultimately, what it's letting us know is, in that, this was God's plan. John 3.16 echoes it, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So everything that I've said, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, okay. So in my poor attempts, we've at least established the Godhead. We know what John's role in it, putting in a message, and also the template in how we esteem and honor and worship Christ. And now I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, okay, I have to accept that. And I think it also can address the issues of evil and suffering, is... Sometimes people try to insert God in, if God is so loving, how can this happen? And so on and so forth. But if we start with, do we believe that in us there's just a flaw? There's a capacity for all good and all bad. But we can look at that and kind of go, that's a result of the fall. That's why things can happen we can't control. And we have to know that things have to be restored back. We have to be brought back. Any hope must be because of the work of Christ. So, if we move on. Now, that barrier caused by sin between man and God, we were in darkness. The light was needed. A plan was necessary. A redemptive plan. Jesus did not sin, but became our sin. He did no wrong, but he became the symbol of all that was wrong. For our sakes, he bore the wrath, because if we had to bear it, we are done for. 
And there's a quote by Paul Washer, and it says, oh, if we go back one, it says, why did Jesus have to be God? Because only God can bear the wrath of God and rise up again. And part of that redemptive plan is, even though Jesus symbolized that death on a cross, he had to rise up to give us a hope. And also, I kind of can look at similarities of baptism is, when you go in there, the belief is that you enter a particular way, but you come out renewed, refreshed. And if we go to the next slide, if it's all right. So I kind of want to jump, and it says, um, bearing fruit. And um, it's in, I believe, John 14. And it says, unless a kernel of wheat dies, it does not produce any fruit. And one thing in there is, I also look at what it says in Galatians, and it says, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Oh, sound kind of went. Um, and in that, I'm trying to draw a mirror image here of the death of Christ and the life of Christ must be in effect in our lives. You know, we look at the dichotomy of the lion and the lamb, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, but also the roaring lion, a sign of victory. In that, what we are saying is the life of Christ, the, the, the wonderful, beautiful life, full of the spirit of Christ must be realized, but the death, dying to ourselves, putting everything, sin, guilt, they, we must die and live. It, it's, I can't explain it any more than that. <laughs> but I think that's what is a stumbling block to a lot of believers, or would-be believers, is they can't comprehend the death and the, and the life simultaneously working. You know, there's a war waging. The flesh must die that the spirit may live. So where do we go from here? So we look at this. We are to receive him and accept him as Lord. So that means we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross and we follow him. We accept that, Je- that who God is, we accept that Jesus came to die from our sins and we go forth from the cross. We don't save, we don't save ourselves onto works, but we are just saved. And from that we can work because we know the cross, what it means for us. Next thing is, we are saved by grace through faith. So we're not to boast in anything. It's not because of anything that we have done. But it's because God's grace to us. Next thing, as I've said before, the life of Christ and the death of Christ must be at work. That we can say, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live. Look, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to encourage, please, just take an, if you want, just take a, Take a screenshot, take a picture. Um, just go and just meditate on some of this because for me, I'm, and I'm not sure if some of you can gather, I'm so excited, but I can't, I can't get out. I'm trying so hard to get out of my own head, but it's just looking at this and just realizing the beauty and the challenge of it. Also as well, we're to resist the devil's schemes. Um, the main issue with Genesis 3 was Adam and Eve are not able to resist the temptation, the lies, the schemes. But scripture tells us if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. But also, should we fall, we can humbly come before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. So the encouragement here is for believers, for people that are contemplating, it's not we take a mark of all the wrongs you've done, but should you fall, you can come back. For every time that you fall, each time plus one, make your way back. That's the encouragement. 
we love God, we love one another, and we grow, bearing fruit, you know. Um, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your might, strength, um, soul, and mind. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So what we're talking about is that restoration, coming back to being an image bearer, is in a moral sense, we turn away from sin, and we know, and we look at the work of Christ, and we look at the word with the guidance that it gives. In a social sense, we are to love one another. So the way in which that works, by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, the oft-forgotten member of the Godhead, comes and makes that alive, makes that real in us. And also as well, we can spend eternity with him in paradise. And I love when the, the guy, the one of the, the one to, is it the one to his right, that was crucified with him, um, rebuked the other one that was making fun of Jesus. And Jesus said, look, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus himself says, look, I'm, I'm, going, to make a, I'm going to make room for you. you know? and, and, and it's the beauty that Jesus is saying, look, we can spend eternity with him. And if the robber at the point of death can stand up for Jesus, and Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise, how much more us we can be adopted, we can be brought back into the fold. And honestly, I can't think of anything else. Is look, let's come. So to us that are believers, I want to encourage us to keep doing what is right. Keep praying, keep seeking God. And to those of you that are not sure, or, nah, this isn't for me, I want to encourage you. Because there's something which um, I learned when I was doing my dissertation, is... Whenever you are trying to work something out or whenever you have a project, you have to have two hypotheses. You have that what you're looking for would be A or what you're looking for would be B. And when you approach it, you have to equally approach it with it can be either or. One thing I want to encourage you is if you don't know who God is, if you don't know who Jesus is, approach it with either God is real, Jesus is real, and what he did, um, you know, mean something or it means nothing because sometimes we find people going God isn't real so therefore they look at it through that lens and they approach it trying to disprove it but what I want to encourage is if you're really not sure look at it evenly and go from there um, because I do believe there are some people who this doesn't make sense to them and I believe God wants to meet with you um, God wants to be there for you um, people in pain, people in hurt. Um, God desires to unite us. God desires to meet with you as well. Um, this is my attempt of trying to explain this. Um, and I know many people have come before me. Um, but what I trust is, even if there's one person, that one person has been encouraged by this. God bless you all.